What's up, crew? Welcome to Filming in Progress, the show that takes you backstage into the world of local businesses and the people who make them shine. Welcome, Gersh, to the show, where we will explore the journey of a visionary in the renewable energy space. As the co-CEO of Zeno Renewables, Gersh is on a mission to reduce humanity's impact on the environment. From humble beginnings to achieving milestones like 750 solar installations in 2022, Zeno Renewables is not just a solar solutions provider, but a force for positive change. Join us as Gersh shares insights on leadership and business philosophy. Gersh, thanks so much for being here, man. I guess we're in your space here today, but... Yeah, no, thanks for thanks for lining this all up. I know you guys are making a pretty big push on social media and I had a chance to come across some of your content and I had to reach out. It was the way that you guys are going about things made it hard not to want to talk to you guys and kind of participate in what you guys are doing. No, I appreciate that. And it's exciting to be in a, in a space that's already set up for podcasting too. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's not it's not too bad. We 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 can kind of hear snowblowers in the background right now, which is kind of funny. Yeah. But that's that's the kind of time of year it is, right? Like there's a lot of snow falling right now. We're in the middle of a cold snap, but Luckily, right now we're inside and it's warm and you're right, it is set up for it. So hopefully we'll have a good conversation today too. There we go. That's the reality of Calgary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so co-founder and co-CEO of Zeno Renewables. Yeah, that's correct. How'd you find yourself here? Oh, that's a that's an good question. Eight years ago, uh, I'm, I guess I suppose it's a little bit longer ago now, but eight years ago is when the company started and a few years before that is when I met Kai. And how I got to the point that I'm at now is honestly a whirlwind. I think so many different things have happened in my life that led me to where I'm at. And as part of that journey, I've had an opportunity to reflect a lot to determine is are the things that happened to me necessary and or were they just, uh, you know, things that were part of the story and their little anecdotes that I can add along the way. So, you know, how did I get here? I honestly don't know, but I know that with the desire of continuously moving forward and always wanting to be a better person, I believe that if I was asked that same question five years from now, I'd probably answer it exactly the same. Love it, love it. So you, so you, did you join the company right at the beginning or how did that look? Yeah, so the company was founded by, founded by myself and Kai in April of 2015. And we were both electricians that were going to SAID at the time. So I was in my third year of school and he was in his fourth year of school and he was just wrapping up. And we basically started the company because we had been raised by entrepreneurs. My parents, uh, my dad specifically was a taxi driver and my mom was a nurse that at one point had her own home care business. So I was always exposed to individuals who are doing their own thing. And for me, it was a driving force to being able to wanting to do my own, my, my own business. But furthermore to that, I was raised by parents who, want, who raised me in a way that wanted to make sure that the impact that I made on the planet was one that was positive, that I left things better than I found them. So the, the whole ethos of everything that I'm doing is tied back to that. But it was initially founded by myself and Kai, and we're still currently the, the primary owners of the organization as well, too. Right on. And so that ethos that was, that was instilled in you from a young age, did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur or did it kind of come about naturally? It was, it was kind of odd. Like as a kid, um, I had a big imagination, like a really big imagination. And my parents always had an interesting time tackling it and nurturing it. But they, I believe they did the best job that they could with the tools that they had. Uh, and the thing to keep that I always keep in mind um, is that it was their first time on this planet too is that it was my first time being a kid. It was their first time being parents. So when I look back at it, I, I always think that there was an undertone of the characteristics being there and they allowed me to naturally be who I am. And they never suppressed me as an individual. They never said, oh, you need to be a doctor or you need to be a lawyer or whatever it was. They basically just said, do what you love 
and maybe these are some suggestions of things that we think that you're good at based on your personality. And my mom's perspective is that I always should have been like a, a litigation lawyer or something along those lines. Uh, so I was always a little bit attached to that idea, but it just goes to show the power of influence that uh, individuals like parents can have on their children, whether it be positive or negative. Yeah, absolutely. So electrician to founder. I'm curious as to that move. So, because you know, some people some people would go into business first. Yeah. Was that a, was that a conscious decision? Almost no, no. So I think the driving force behind everything that I wanted to do uh, was attached to really. I, I I've said it a few times now, I suppose, but it was attached to the way I was raised. So maybe I should give some context here. I came to Canada um, as a young individual, uh, like about six years old, and I had moved from England. Uh, that's where my mom was raised. Uh, the family had been there for generations. And then my dad was from India, a northern part of India uh, called, called Punjab. Uh, now, that part of India specifically, it's a little bit contested of where the people come from. So I'd like to assume that I'm just a person of the planet, right? I'm from two different, very distinctly different cultures. And as I was growing up, my parents were really good at laying down foundations. Education was important. Um, you always had to mind your manners and be respectful to all other individuals. And you had to make sure that you were taking care of the, the planet. So I was raised as a vegetarian. I was raised with recycling and uh, reducing and being conscious of your environmental footprint from day one. There was never a part of my life where I ever, when I don't remember that being part of who I was. And that carried forward into my young adult years. So initially when I completed um, when I completed, you know, like high school and stuff like that, I wanted to get into engineering, primarily focused on uh, computer sciences and things of that nature. And kind of going down that pathway, I really quickly discovered that I'm like, I'm not actually passionate about this. I consider computers and the technology a tool. I need to do something that takes that tool and actually turns it into something useful. So I started exploring uh, ecology, uh, things environmentally related. And then weirdly enough, I ended up getting pulled in a social direction. And I ended up really heavily participating in the community and doing a lot of work with um, individuals that were unhoused and other individuals that, you know, were having a little bit of a tougher time in life. And as I was going through that process, I came to the conclusion that I wanted to do humanitarian work and retire at 45. And that was the antithesis of the business starting in my mind. It was always maybe an undertone, but for me to be able to achieve my goals, I knew I wasn't going to be able to have the impact I wanted to have and be able to do the work I wanted to do unless I started my own business. So at that point, I started having a conversation um, with my partner, which is Janet, and she was, we were both really young, we were like 21 and we were planning this all out. And what we had designed as a framework is that I needed to do something that would be useful in developing nations. And we went through a laundry list of different things, um, whether it was engineering or product management or whatever, so on and so forth. And one of the interesting pieces of information we came across was that the single greatest tool to overcome poverty is access to electricity. People can have a light so they can study at night or they can power a water pump so they don't have to spend hours a day walking kilometers getting water. So as weird as it sounds, I decided to become an electrician based off that, that thought process. Wow, that's, that's incredible. So, so it was always part of the plan then. It seems like it's, it's always kind of been that planned out aspect. Looking back at it now, it's so weird, but yeah, it was always there. And, and those conversations that I had when I was in my early 20s, I, I think I always kind of knew what I wanted to do. And I was really convicted by it as well, too. It, like nobody could shake me off of it. Like one of the things I, I've always been that way as well, too, stubborn. Um, I loved Tiesto when I was younger. He, I don't really like his music now. But back when I was growing up, he was a pure trance artist and he really pushed that, that industry forward. And I always stood a ground on even him as an individual or a different 
uh, athletes that I love, like Ronaldo and so on and so forth. And I, I took that same energy and I applied it to myself as an individual. And I held my ground, even though people tried shaking me off of it. And they said that, you know, this isn't the best idea. There's a lot of risk and so on and so forth. I didn't care. I almost couldn't hear it because my thoughts were so strong in the direction that I wanted to go to that everything else that didn't satisfy that equation wasn't part of the conversation. Wow. And so, so how do these, these, all these values that kind of drove you to, to what you're doing now, how do you instill those in all of your staff and all of your, all of your team and that sort of thing? It's, it's an evolution, right? I think, um, and, I, and I'm speaking from the perspective of a business owner and a parent. So I have three kids. I have uh, two boys and they're three years old and are identical twins. They're an absolute blast. And uh, I have a daughter who's six and she's also a, a blast. And they're all really amazing children. And they, they have taught me more about myself than I think anything else in life could have. And it's, it, it, doesn't come with, it doesn't come without its work, but everything in life has work, right? I think just the return on investment is significantly greater with children. Because if you choose to be present and enjoy the moment, you get a lot out of it. And why that's relevant to your question is, is because that's, that's what allowed me to really understand everything as a whole. That's what really allowed me to understand how the value framework works in business and how individuals in our organization can allow themselves to be part of it. And what I'm getting to is that when you first become a parent, you have no idea what you're doing. And there's always a conversation that, um, you know, like you can never be ready enough, but there's also a reality that maybe you should prepare a little bit, right? And as part of that, I made sure like financially, um, I was in an okay position uh, that, you know, I had the right kind of house. I had the right partner that I was having the kids with and from, and nothing's going to be perfect, but all those things were checked out. And then it was a mentality of just grind, show up every single day, make sure that you're present and no matter what, don't give up. And that was actually what the original core values in the organization were um, when the company first started is grind or die, because if you don't show up with those three things in mind, you're not going to survive. Now the company's been around for almost nine years. This April will be nine years. That changed a lot. And it was in about year six or year seven that we started realizing that, hold on a second here, solar and the industry that we're in is now stabilizing. It's not one or two systems here and there. It's a lot. And to give you a frame of reference, in our first two years, we did two solar installations. Last year alone, we did right around 1,500 homes. So it's grown significantly. And those, that growth happened um, year over year. And when we started realizing that that key piece that I was alluding to in regards to the fact that there's no point in operating out of fear, let's operate in a, out of consciousness, then we started changing the conversation. And what we did is we took our leadership team at that time and had a really candid conversation in terms of what we value as people. Our four core values are really foundational in terms of how we want people to think. And we actually measure against them as well too. So one of the first ones that we have is value, understand the value of reputation. The second one is challenge to be better. The third one is loyalty. And the fourth one is be kind. Those four things make, the, make up our core values in an organization. And how we measure against those is by, by making sure that we have candid conversations with individuals to when they first start to make sure that they align with those values. If they don't, it's all good. There's a, we live in a beautiful country with a lot of employment opportunities. This might not be the place for everybody. That's the first thing that we share with everybody. Like, hey, don't feel like you're forced to be here. You live in a country where you have choice. You can go and work somewhere else. And then if they do choose to, main, to stay and to be, let's just be fair, everybody kind of typically does because now they're curious, right? Then we drive into what do each one of those things mean? And then furthermore to that, 
if somebody is having performance issues, it's not just about KPIs. We need to treat people like human beings. We actually measure against their core values. So let's say, for example, we have a department that needs improvement and there's individuals in there that aren't, aren't you know, allowing things to move forward. They're holding back uh, progress or they're not improving processes. Then we can say, hey, you know, this is something that we noticed. Uh, the challenge to be better, better isn't being sal- satisfied. Can we have a conversation about this? And do you agree? So it takes away from the subjective nature of something of a tool of that nature and you start having a real conversation around that this is this is what the benchmark is at this organization do you feel like you're reaching it and then it kind of grows from there so that's basically the foundations and the core values that the company is driven by was there a catalyst that changed you know you mentioned this about uh, six years in that changed from that that first one to these new four was there something that kind of came about that you know spurred that change yeah, I think it was the same thing that spurred any single change that I've had in my life as well as we've had in the business side of things. Um, it's that people. It's always people. And the beautiful part about where we operate as our head office, and we have offices across Canada, uh, where in Edmonton, Lethbridge, and and in uh, Mississauga now as well too, uh, is that when you meet certain people, that are genuinely there, not for themselves, but for you, and they challenge you on your thinking, that's where the growth happens. So that timeline that you're alluding to, we had meet, met an individual who really pushed us. And he pushed us in a way that we hadn't experienced before. And it was in a very structured manner through a specific program and a process that allowed us to look deeper into ourselves and start answering questions honestly. And at that time, it created a significant amount of growth. We went from something like I think it was like 14 to 15 people to now over 200 in that span of time as well too. So there's a rapid, a rapid growth that happened with that as well. And it was during COVID of all things. Like we decided to kick it off at that time as well too. And, and there was one other individual that, we, that was in our lives at that time as well too that showed us the opposite side of the coin of what we could potentially be if we didn't smarten up. So we were so fortunate that we had both things happen at the exact same time of what not to do and what to do. And that really strengthened our resolve and drove us in the direction of providing refinement and clear communication to our team members. Because I do believe that those are the three things that are foundational beyond values and stuff like that. What applies to every single business, core values are going to be unique, is first and foremost, communication is absolute. You need to be able to talk to people and talk to them clearly. That includes expressing what you're thinking, expressing what you're feeling, and expressing what you know. So almost like your gut. And then the second piece of that is teamwork. You have to accept the fact that, you know, when you're sitting in a dark room or you're working remotely or you feel like you're grinding, that you're only doing that because there's other people around you that are supporting your role. It's not like you're solving world hunger by yourself, right? It's a team effort. And then the last, the last piece is setting goals. So once communication is had and teamwork is established, what are you all working on together? And those, those are the kind of the key pieces that allowed, that I took away from that entire journey that are the pieces that continue needing, we need to continue to be part of the conversation and foundational and undertone of everything that we do when we're moving as a team and as a unit towards our goal. Incredible. Yeah. The, the, I mean, people are everything. And I think, I think the way you've structured it and the way that you measure back against it is unique. You know, a lot of people talk about how, oh, we should be always checking, you know, checking back, making sure that our, our values are, are aligned among the company. And there's, you know, often you don't find that they're checking back against that. So yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Yes, it works. <laughs> you talk about, so you talked about the catalyst that made the change in the business. And then you've also talked about a couple personal uh, catalysts, if you will. Yeah. Um, 
how do you find alignment between those two, you know, uh, being obviously a co-founder and co-CEO as yeah. well as, you know, things happening in your personal life? What, what's the relationship between those? Uh, I think the first, the first thing, and this is the hardest part, is you have to be intentional. So you have to know why you're digging. So let's say, if, I'll use an analogy here. Um, let's say you're my neighbor. We live, we live next to each other and you, put your, you poke your head over the fence one day and you notice that I'm digging a hole in the backyard. And we don't have any communication. We don't have a healthy level of communication, but you know, we'll say hi and bye in the mornings and stuff like that. And that's pretty much where it starts and ends. And then I have a neighbor on the other side of my fence that's watching me dig a hole. And that neighbor is well aware of exactly what I'm doing. I'm digging a hole because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm putting in a pool for my kids, for example, right? I mean, that's not really an Alberta thing, but let's just use it for this example. You then, on the other side of the fence, continue watching me for days. And then you see me moving random bags in and out of my garage. It turns out all they are is like prep for the pool, but one of them is shaped maybe like a body. You know, like your mind will start to play games against you when that communication and that stuff isn't in place, right? So I think going into things with intention is the biggest piece possible. And it's about having an honest conversation with yourself. Because communication isn't just between other people. It's inside your own head. That, that conscious that you have and those thoughts that you have, that isn't actually something that's been with you in your entire life in an awareness manner. Going back to having kids, like my, my kids have voices inside their own head, but they don't actually realize what it is yet. That's the coolest thing is when my daughter, I saw her realize that she had uh, like, you know, a conscious being inside of herself that was thinking these things, it tripped her out. And I watched her face like melt and like, then she started coming to realization. And it was a cool moment to experience, right? Is that, that that aspect is the first piece is what, what are your intentions? What are you digging into? Like, why are you, why are you having these conversations? And, and why I'm bringing this up is we, we live in a time, I believe, which is a great time. I think in a general sense, humanity as a whole is still moving forward. We're being kinder than we ever have been to, to one another. I know there's a few wars going on right now. That's always the undertone of, of humans as a whole is that if, if there isn't a problem, we'll make one, right? But that aside is that we're living in a time where people are digging into their past more than they ever have before whether it be childhood trauma, whether it be abuse that an individual has faced, whether it be any number of these things that caused a person to be able to act in an inappropriate or an appropriate manner, where as human beings are digging deeper than ever before. And I think where that, that, those parallels lie is that that happens in business sometimes too, right? Let's say, for example, you didn't sleep well or you wake up one day and you're having a rough time. And then the first thing that you get is an email saying that, oh, um, I'll use a random example. Let's say some policies are out of date. And now because of that, we ended up having to let somebody go or something weird happened. And then now we're, you know, there, there could be a, a legal consideration or something weird happening is that if you allow that information to come at you and you don't allow the intention to be understood in regards to where this was driven from and what actually happened here, you're always going to be on your back foot and you're always going to be either having to deal with counter strikes or counter punches or whatever you want. And you're going to eventually end up on your butt. But if you're always stopping, finding your ground, planting your feet and leaning forward and figuring out what the intention of something is, then you'll always be successful. And I think that's where that, from my perspective, at least, that's where the personal and the business side cross over is that if you have intention and you can act to it, because action is always required as well, too, then you're able to be on much more stable ground and you can provide what your team needs to you with a significant amount of confidence and surety knowing that you thought it through carefully enough. So 
it's almost that old that old saying is it's better to it's better to go slow it's better to go slow to go fast right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I love the idea of the intentionality to move forward and I think that that's what ultimately gives people the edge in being proactive right you know think, anticipating what's coming being able to be proactive against that what are some what are some strategies or methods that you use to to ensure that you're always on the front foot rather than the back uh, at my age of sleep is absolutely non-negotiable um, I, I figured out exactly how much sleep is perfect for me. It's like seven hours and 15 minutes. I don't know why that's like the magic number of me getting the right amount of deep sleep, light sleep and REM. Uh, and obviously I, I wear a smart watch to be able to track that. Um, and it helps a lot. I think that's the first thing is, and, and why I'm starting off with that is because it's, it's about you first. It, I have this saying, and I've shared this with the team a lot is that if one day your eyes don't open and you no longer exist then nothing actually mattered in the first place so you might as well first thing in the day open up your eyes and do things for yourself because that'll drive a positivity through the rest of your life if you know that you're you're satisfying that part of the equation so it is it is and it can be understood as a little bit of a selfish perspective but that's just what i found has worked for me uh the next piece the next piece behind all of that is kind of understanding like who are the most the most important individuals in your life and th- who are those people that you need to pour your energy into in a regular basis and make sure that you're nurturing that relationship. Um, that's something that gets overlooked a lot is that most individuals will get really quickly caught up in their feelings and they'll be like, this is what I need from this situation and I'm not getting what I need from it. And then misunderstandings happen, miscommunications happen and they forget that on the other side of the equation, there's another individual that has a completely different set of goals and intentions. So this all goes back to that communication piece that I was talking about is that making sure that these conscious conversations are happening. And I actually have them throughout my life. I call them like same page meetings. Ironically enough, I have dinner with Kai tonight. And that's one of the conversations where him and I are catching up on a few different things. But we have those actually on a regular basis and a a regular cadence. And even with our executive team, it happens once a month. It's called the same page meeting, go offsite, have a nice light conversation. And we make sure that we have a healthy understanding And then in the relationship side of things on my personal life, it's something that needs to happen weekly. It can't happen on that long of a frequency because there's children involved. It needs to happen at least once a week for an extended period of time with a pure focus around how are you doing? How's life? How's work? Where does the balance meet? And then all of the alignment starts to come into place and then you start entering your flow state. I love the idea of the same page meeting. Is there a structure that you follow to make sure that that's, you know, as impactful as it needs to be every time? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a few pieces that come into place. The first part of the conversation, especially talking about this from the professional perspective first, is the first part of the conversation is actually personal. It's like, how's your personal life going? How's my personal life going? And we all take turns and we all listen to each other. And it kind of gives everybody an update because if you come to work and you actually don't accept the reality that people are going to have issues at home, and that they are sometimes going to bring them into the workplace, then you're being dishonest, then you're actually never going to get true performance. And not that the goal is performance, but performance will be a benefit of people being honest with one another. So that's the first piece is, how's your personal life? The second piece is, how's your general work life going? How's things been feeling lately? What are your issues? Is kind of what we call them, right? And then every individual is uh, requested to bring an issues list and you try to keep it in a looser format um, as much as possible. And your goal isn't to solve the issue in that moment, it's to have a conversation around the issue, talk about what you're thinking, you're feeling, what you know. And then if there's, if it needs deeper, if it needs deeper solving, then in that conversation, there's takeaways. 
So that's where the other piece of the structure is, is that you have a conver- once that conversation is kind of satisfied, you have your single takeaway and then you go and either delegate it. So give it to team members that need to be able to support solving it, or you book a meeting with those individuals to either turn it over or help solve that problem. Right. Wow, that's that's incredible. Communication is obviously obviously key for you in all aspects of your yeah. life, um, and and from there, you know, I'm always fascinated to see a co CEO role. You know, um, it's it's not a common one that you see, and and obviously communication is integral for that too. So maybe maybe tell me about how that came to be and how uh, how that how that split looks for the two of you. Yeah, this is probably I'll start it off with a funny point. So Kai and I always used to have this joke that we're both kind of stupid. And each of us is actually only the equivalent of like half a human brain. So if both of us put our energy together, we're a full brain. Now, what we realized is, is that that's, that's actually, you know, like probably partially true. It's not completely untrue. Um, that him and I, when we're at our best is when we're together as individuals. And the reason being is that we both have the same goal. We just have different perspectives on how to get there. And what that provides our team with and even our personal lives is a balanced approach. Because I won't hold the line and Kai won't hold the line. We get on incredibly well. I mean, obviously every relationship has its moments, but we get on incredibly well. And we, between the two of us, will f- negotiate and we'll take positions. And then we always end up landing in the middle ground. And the cool part about that, and one of the things I learned from Kai is it's important to kind of have a mantra in life. His, his are pretty great and he can share those uh, when, when you guys have a chance to talk. But mine, mine is reality is neutral is that I always try to find this middle ground. And having that relationship with Kai has been able to expose that to me, that neutrality is actually where the truth always lies. It's not in the outer extremes. And I would represent an extreme and he would represent an extreme. And the piece that landed between us was that middle line, therefore the neutral, the neutral point. And that's usually where the reality always exists for the masses. And then you'll always end up having the smaller portion of individuals on the outer portions. And those, and those are extremes where generally the extremists end up living, right? So... Do you ever find that 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 um, that co-CEO relationship kind of, uh, you know, takes more time to make decisions or anything along those lines? No, I think the, the beautiful part about the beautiful part about that relationship between myself and Kai is we know where our strengths are. I think any individual, especially young individuals, the hardest thing that most people will experience is what am I good at? Everybody has a perception of like, this is what I'm naturally talented at but they don't have external validation to be able to back it up. So confidence is always a problem. Uh, Anxiety is a problem. And when those two things are factored in, in relation to, I think I'm good at this, all of a sudden you lose your confidence and then you become anxious and you don't actually act on those things. So what the relationship between Kai and I has allowed us to achieve in that co-CEO framework is that we both play our own roles. And in an organization like ours, I'm very strong at marketing and I'm also very strong at understanding how to be able to develop business. And Kai is extremely strong at finance and how to to run operations efficiently. So when you're talking about the question about does it slow things down? It's like, no, we just actually put our hats on that we know we're excellent at. And then all we do is update each other to be able to provide uh, an alternative perspective and things actually move really fast between the two of us. It doesn't, we found historically it's actually allowed things to go fast and then there's one, but there is one other piece that I need to mention as well, too. There's a significant around, amount of room for forgiveness and not necessarily in the perspective of um, you, I need to be forgiven or I need to forgive somebody. It's that when a mistake is made, we're actually completely cool. They're like, yeah, it's all good, man. Like you screwed up. It's, but don't actually take it to heart. This is the positive silver lining in this. And it's actually a net positive. And, and that's, that's the role that we play for one another is that we have built an organization, I believe, 
that is comfortable with making mistakes because we know that those mistakes end up yielding insights that we wouldn't have been aware of otherwise. Right, right. So the accountability piece is there, but also the, the almost boundary might not be the right word, but you know, the understanding that this is kind of what I handle and this is what he handles. Totally, totally. I, and I wouldn't call it a boundary because there's certain times where I need Kai's support and he's my support and I'll pull him into a conversation to be able to better understand the potential implications or the opportunities. And I, I think it's it's probably more of like just a framework. And and we in the company like to use the term guardrails is that it's almost guardrails to be able to kind of keep you a little bit on track. But every now and then, if you want to jump over the guardrail and go and smell the flowers or take a look at something, go for it, right? As long as you have the confidence to do it, it's, it's not a restriction by any means. Uh, you were speaking earlier about some, you know, significant people throughout your journey that have, you know, been pivotal in, in kind of your entrepreneurial journey, for lack of better terms. Um, how important are those people and how did you come about them? Is it is it a mentorship kind of relationship? Is it coaching? What does that look like and, and why is it important? Uh, ironically enough, um, I think it's an attraction thing. So I, I always... I always bring everything back down to like a logical framework as much as possible as an individual. And um, I always try to look at physics and in, in this specific example, I'll say like the, the fund, some of the fundamental laws. And one of the ones that I really love is uh, energy input is equal to energy output plus losses, right? And that framework that governs kind of the, the, the reality and the, the planet that we live on in the solar system and so on and so forth from a scientific perspective also is true to the other side of the conversation. Is that if you if you want something to happen in life, the simple thing that you have to do is to put energy into it. If you want to become a successful business owner, are you gonna sleep in or are you gonna wake up early? You're probably gonna wake up early. Are you gonna put something off to tomorrow or are you gonna deal with it today? You're probably gonna deal with it today. Are you gonna invest in yourself or are you gonna invest in the business? You're probably gonna invest in the business, right? And, and the reality of that ends up, ha what ends up happening as part of that is different individuals who are also trying to do the same things or want to see you succeed are going to want to participate in that process. Now, why I break it out into that aspect of people that want to do it versus people who want to see you succeed is there's a lot of people, especially in Canada, that have already achieved a significant amount of success. And there's a lot of gratitude inherently built into our culture as Canadians. Like I get to identify as whatever the heck I want to. I get to represent whatever culture I want to. There's not really any social restrictions on us as people, which is beautiful. I, I know publicly you can get misconstrued, but it is a beautiful thing because it doesn't really exist anywhere else on the planet as freely as it does here. So that, that in itself is one of the key factors to success in Canada that because gratitude is inherently built into our culture here is that when people achieve success, they want to pay it forward. I mentor quite a few different individuals. I also mentor a few different organizations and companies as well too, and I love doing it. I wish I had more time to do it. And eventually when, you know, if I, when, you know, I'm in the later stages of my career, hopefully that becomes my primary, um, my primary energy source, I suppose, if you want to call it that. And I believe all of that together is part of why I, businesses as a whole will always be successful is that a bunch of different human beings have considered this a viable way to continue moving society forward. And a lot of senior individuals or people who have retired understand that if they don't put that energy back in, the world won't become a better place. Plus humans always wanna share. No matter what ends up happening is that humans always wanna share something that they value. Not everybody's kind of a golem, right? Like that's not, they don't have their precious and they wanna hold on to themselves. Majority of people are really, in my opinion, are positive. 
And that's where all of that force kind of comes in play. It starts with what I had mentioned, which is intention, and then by actually doing stuff, and then that'll attract the individuals to you, which will then lead to you being successful as long as you don't quit. So no quit, there should never be any quitting allowed. Uh, I, wish, I wish that was taught at an earlier age, um, but I also understand with kids that sometimes that's not the way that things work. My daughter just quit dance, for example, because she doesn't like it, right? But when I brought up gymnastics to her, she lit up, and I'm like, okay, there we go. So that led me to this, and now let's see how this goes, right? Is that it's a constant state of evolution and being okay, and uh, not allowing yourself to fall into the trap of not quitting life. That's, that's the key piece. I love the idea of energy exchange between, you know, I mean, in all aspects that you mentioned there. Uh, I'm curious, um, I've heard it before where, you know, you're, you mentioned that you put energy into um, you're, you're mentoring other, other business owners, that sort of thing. Yeah. Do you ever get, you know, uh, learnings back that might, you might not have expected? Oh, almost always. The, the funny thing about me as an individual is I'm, I'm pretty direct and I don't like to sugarcoat things as much as possible. And it doesn't land very well sometimes. But in this specific situation, um, I will almost always go into these situations and knowing that I'm going to get something out of it. And the reason being is it's very easy to get stuck in I'm, the, I'm busy framework where it's like, hey, I was things going, oh, I'm busy. And it's like, okay, well, let's dive further. How are you? And then some people will actually still answer, I'm busy. But what the person is actually typically asking in that situation is like, you as a human being, are you okay? And that sometimes doesn't get answered. And so for me as an individual to negotiate that piece out of it altogether and to not make myself feel like I'm questioning my emotions and my intentions, I will actually make sure that there's a healthy exchange, that I'm going and putting my time into this. And as part of that, I want to make sure that I also get some sort of insight or something out of it, because then I will feel motivated to come back with the best version of myself. Because as a human being, if you're going into a situation and all that's happening is that you're getting the energy sucked out of you, your desire to want to go back to that situation is going to be pretty low. So I think it's very important, once again, with the intention to make sure that you're going into a situation in a balanced manner, that you're getting in or you're getting out of it what you're putting into it, plus, like I said, plus some losses, right? Like that's part of the, like the physics equations of our world, but it's also part of the way that I kind of look at business and putting my time into things as well. Yeah, that, that idea of reciprocation is so important. And I think, um, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're often taught that one of the best things we can learn to do is say no. Yeah. Um, so with that idea, you know, how do you, how do you gauge what is worth your time? I think ironically enough, and to, to add to what you're saying is you have to start by saying yes to everything is the, the, how do, how do I put this is the, the ability to be able to say no is an earned right, not a given out of the gate. So if you, let's say, for example, if you started a business and every, and, and it's day one, and all you said was, no, 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 no. It's not going to go anywhere, right? So I think that the answer is in itself is that you have to say yes to everything and then determine what feels good. And what, what I mean, when I say what feels good, I'm talking about your gut. Is your gut showing up and saying, yeah, this is it. This is where I need to pour my energy. Or is it sending off red flags and being like, you need to get the heck out of here. And what I determine a gut, the gut actually is, it's a combination of your feelings and your thoughts. And when you have enough experience between both, the gut shows up and makes the decision for you. So if you've felt a certain way in a certain situation enough times, or you've been able to think yourself through the, through that same capacity and the feelings, then your gut is what actually shows up and makes the decision for you. And that's when you start to say no in an effective manner. And that's when it becomes really freeing. 
and then you can really kind of, you know, like I was saying, you don't want to be on your heels. That's where you can stand flat on the ground with sure footing and be able to lean forward and lean into things. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So it takes that experience to, to get to that point. Oh, totally. Totally. I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day and they were, they were giving me some, some advice, some, some personal advice. And it was advice that didn't sit well with me. And it wasn't from the perspective of, I didn't like the advice. I thought the advice was great. It was that the person that was giving me advice, I felt that they were giving it to me from a biased perspective that they themselves weren't living that way, but they were giving me advice based on that. And I was like, hold on a second here. I was like, let's pause. And I was like, there's two ways to get up a mountain. Let's assume it's Sulphur Mountain. You can either take a chairlift or you can hike. I'm like, I'm the kind of person that prefers to hike. I want to stop three to four times along the way and I want to look over my shoulder and check out the view. I want to be able to smell the trees. I want to be able to see the animals. I want to be able to feel the dirt underneath my shoes. And I want, I want to be able to experience that and go on that journey. I don't want to take the chairlift and watch everybody else live their lives. And, and that was a major, that was kind of a major epiphany for myself and the other individual is that if you, if you take that chairlift, it's an experience that somebody else designed and it's almost perfect. And pursuing perfectionism in life and doing that as your bar will end up becoming damaging to you in the long run and won't allow you, and it won't serve you better. So you almost have to gain that experience of going through all of that before you take the chairlift. Because if that's your first experience, then you're never going to be incentivized to take the hard path because you feel like you've already seen it all when you actually haven't. Moving on. Yeah. Um, you were talking about the, some of the benefits of Canada a little bit before, you know, uh, and then we talked a little bit off camera as well about, you know, so how different countries do things differently. I'm curious, do you think there's, um, there's ge geographical advantages uh, when doing business? Interestingly enough, like, and, and sorry, maybe I just need to clarify here, geographical in what sense? Geographical, I mean, as in, I mean, I mean maybe let's, let's refer it back to the way people are. Mm -hmm. So maybe more culture-based is probably a better question. I think so. And I, I think it's actually a lot simpler than what people chalk it up to be. I find that um, it's not about the language you speak, the food you eat, the temperature of where you live. It's about frequency of interaction. So, for example, um, let's use Los Angeles versus Calgary as, as the, simplest, the simplest answer. Um, based on numbers alone, there's more homeless people in Los Angeles than there are people in Calgary. As a frame of reference, which, which is insane if you really think about it, right? But then you look at the, big, at the bigger picture of how many people actually live there. And then you look at the frequency of interactions that they're having on any given day. In Calgary, by, from the time that you leave your home to the time that you get to your location is usually pretty quick. Like average commutes in Calgary are anywhere between like 25, probably 20 to 35 minutes. That in Los Angeles would be considered an extremely short commute. Average commutes there can be anywhere between an hour and a half and so on and so forth, right? So people are sitting idle. They're thinking more. They're probably listening to podcasts. They're probably hearing more ads. And then by the time they actually start their day, they've already been hit with almost 100 different things. And I think the geographical advantage that individuals can have, and that's why work from home can sometimes be considered healthier, is that you're able to control the amount of inputs that you're having given in any single day. And then from there, you're able to make better decisions. You're able to be more conscious because your inputs are lower and you're able to have more capacity to think about single things. And, and it's, a really, it's really easy if you think about it from a mathematical sense is that if, you, if, you're in the, if you're in a dark room and let's say, for example, you have 10 of your friends in there. So you're in a trusted space and they all have 10 balls and eight people choose to throw 
their their balls at you and they hit you from eight different directions, you're not going to know which way to turn, right? You're going to be you're going to be your head's going to be spinning. You're not going to way to go. Now imagine you're in that same room and you're hit with a thousand different balls. You're going to be so almost paralyzed that you'll probably just shell up and drop to the ground. And I believe that's the same thing that ends up happening in geographical locations is the less that you have in terms of inputs, the less that you have in your life, whether it be things that you're buying or things that actually aren't important. And the more you focus on just the basic things, the better of, of a life that you'll live and the better decisions that you'll end up being able to make as well too. So you work, so you choose to work from home because you have less, it, it, you are hit with less inputs, correct? Yeah. So half my time is spent working from home and half my time is in the office. Now I believe there's a balance that is required. Um, the work from home piece specifically, I do need to have my alone time to be able to filter through my thoughts and make decisions. And then also work on some projects that I'm working on in the organization now as well too, to be able to actually get those done. When I'm in person, I typically get barraged. So, and I'm, and I'm, completely cool with that. And I actually do enjoy those moments as well too, because I can provide valuable insight or I can get insight myself to be able to make better decisions. So I believe that there needs to be a healthy balance between the two. It can't just be one or the other. It needs to be a good middle ground. And that's going to be different for everybody. Some might be three days at home, two days in the office or two days at home and three days in the office, but there, it needs to be as close to 50% as possible so that you as an individual can achieve balance in some form or another. Yeah, I love the idea of of you know being able to make decisions a little bit a little bit more clear headed if you uh, if you have the less inputs that you're you're barraged with, for example. Um, are there other are there any other strategies you use to you know ensure that you're as clear headed as possible? Yeah, fitness. Um, I, I I think that more than anything else, um, the body needs to move. The the body one hundred percent needs to move. So for me specifically, I have a lot of different uh, activities I like to do. I like to um, I like to lift weights. I like to run. I like to row. I like to bike. Um, I love you know just playing games with my kids and stuff like that. And they're they themselves are uh, can be kind of fatiguing because they always want me to pick them up and like uh, you know toss get them tossed around and just have some fun. So it can be exhausting as well in a good way. And all of that um, energy kind of leaving the body and then just having what you need left behind because typically people won't you know, train to exhaustion every single day. You'll stop to the point where like, you know, I think I'm good, right? And then once that all that extra energy is shed away, you're kind of left with what you need to be able to move through that next moment. And whether that be in a meeting or until the next thing where you need to have food and then you're replenishing your energy increases again, right? I find that that's the first thing. The second thing is that, um, is, is, a t- is more of a mental tool that I use is uh, neg- management of negative thoughts. It's that you're going to have a lot of different feelings and different emotions about things um, whether and that come across your mind that you cannot allow to go deeper if they're not conducive to your overall growth. Now, if there's things that are crossing your mind of things that are unsettled or relationships that aren't working, then communication is needed. It's probably good to have a go, go out and conversation with that person. But if they're fleeting thoughts that you've already settled and they're not relevant to you know your goals and where you are at your life right now, the tool that I use is just to let them go. So quite literally, as soon as the thought will come into my mind, I'll be like, is this good or bad? And if I put it in the bad bucket, I, I, I do a little, a little thing in my mind and I actually just let it go. And I don't hold on to it. And then I focus on the positive side of things. And that allows me to be able to show better, show up better for the people that need me. Does that stem from meditation or any form of? Uh, it's from two places. Um, actually, I would, say, I would say it's from three places. Uh, meditation, 100%, I've done a lot of that. 
um, a lot of different self-improvement and contemplative exercises I do as well too. So I did meditation by itself, meditation with journaling, but I'm lucky. I didn't start meditation as an adult because it was a trend. I was raised with meditation. So I actually don't remember a time in my life where I didn't have meditation as part of my, as part of who I was as a person. And we actually had a house um, or a room dedicated in our house that was a meditation room. Um, and it was, it was an interesting setup and my dad was the driver behind it and he meditated sometimes for hours in a day. There'd be days where he'd be sitting in there for three to five hours without moving. And I'd open the door and I'd peek and he'd be sitting cross-legged on like uh, a thin sheet and he wouldn't move. And I'm like, this is crazy. But that was normal for me because that was what was going in my house, right? Looking back at it now, I'm sorry, where the comment comes, this is crazy. Because to be able to commit that much energy to like self-improvement as an individual is quite astonishing, especially in the world that we live in. Um, but that was where the first piece came from. So I said there was three things. The second thing is family. So uh, family is usually the people that are closest to you that you like the least in some ways, or they're closest to you that you love the most and or like the most. I think family as a whole, no matter what you love them because they are your family, but you get to choose whether you like them or not, right? And I found that um, when I had kids, I came to the awareness that the all the things that have happened in my life, they had actually had nothing to do. They're the reason why I was able to continue moving forward. So I started looking at them with nothing but favor and started diving deeper in regards to what their perspectives of, of were of me and understanding why they thought the thoughts that they had around either uh, the good or the bad around me. And the bad, I focused on to be able to bring it to the surface in terms of where their frustrations were me. And then I developed a relationship around making sure that they felt confident that that was maybe a previous version of myself or the future version of myself and I need their help to be able to get there. And then the last one is uh, getting help. So like I, I've talked to a few different psychologists over the years or therapists, whatever you want to call them, they come in all different forms. And those individuals have pushed me to dive into things in my life that I wasn't willing to have conversations about um, until I got to a certain level of maturity. And looking back at all those things, I started realizing that my life as a whole has been net positive, is the way that I equate it, is that there's a lot of bad that's happened, there's a lot of good that happened, but generally speaking, it's net positive. Do you recommend those services to people? Oh, and at what point? I think, um, I, I absolutely do. I mean, first and foremost, everybody um, has family, whoever they qualify as family, sometimes it's not blood, you need to make sure that you have some sort of relationship in there and try to be the, and it's really easy, it's really easy to get emotionally triggered with family as well too, but just try to step back and look, imagine that you're not actually part of that equation, but you're just an observer of that relationship. Um, fitness is 100% non-negotiable. Everybody needs to move. Um, we're designed to move. And then that last piece, which is, I, I believe what you're alluding to is, do I recommend the services of therapists? 100%. Um, there's never a wrong time to go and do it. And you need to make sure that you go in there with a basic understanding of what you're hoping to get out. Um, one of the things that I can recommend that you should start with is if you don't know, if you're like debating going into therapy or getting help from somebody and you don't know what to start off with, ask yourself, do you know your life goals? If you don't, go and ask them to help, for help to figure out what those are. And that can be a really good starting point. I've determined that two of my major life goals is to be the best dad ever and to be the best, the, one of the best uh, business owners ever to my to the people, not to the outer realm of things and the way that I'm positioned publicly, but to the people that I work with. Can I be as kind and gracious and um, opportunity driven as possible? And that actually ironically came from going through the therapy process. I wasn't able to figure out my own personal life goals and going through the, that therapy process. And that was sometimes actually just with friends. It wasn't a professional therapist in all cases. Sometimes it was 
therapy sessions with friends and having open and vulnerable conversations that brought those things to the surface. I want to add two or three more personal goals, but those ones are my main drivers right now. And they're currently kind of filling my cup for lack of better words. So being the best business owner, is that correct? And, and being the best father. Yeah. How do you balance those? Those are two extremely difficult things to, to, to balance, you know, they both require a significant amount of time investment and, and, uh, and thought. Yeah, you have to prioritize one over the other, right? They can't be equally, they can't be equally fighting for a position. So I've deemed that if I'm the best father, then I will demonstrate my kids what does work-life balance look like? What does it look like to treat their mother in a healthy manner? What does it look like to treat their grandparents, their nephew, my, their cousins, everything, right? Is that that piece in itself trickles into everything else in my life. Um, and being that best dad possible means uh, you know, in, in the mornings, making sure I'm like, I, I can, I can go run at any time, right? For example, when I'm doing my training and stuff like that, but I choose to wait until I've had my breakfast with them. I've sat down and made sure that, you know, they're, they're ready to go for school and then I will go train or I'll make sure that it's right before they're going to bed, do their bedtime. And I, I'll carry my shoes around and be like, Hey, it's time for me to go for a run. Right. It's that being intentional and making sure that awareness is very front of mind so that they know that like, Hey, my dad wasn't just a dad is that he had these other identifying factors that made up who he was as a person and they were foundational to him being healthy or successful or living a good life and leaving a good legacy of being just a positive human being. So I believe that prioritization is the first piece, determining which of those goals is the most important and that'll naturally drive into everything. And when I'm doing that being a good dad thing and I'm healthy and I'm doing that because I know my kids are watching and I'm showing up at dinner time every single night with no phone and making sure that I'm eating and enjoying that meal with them and so on and so forth is that the business will actually end up taking care of itself because I'm showing up knowing that I did a good job there. And then all the other goals will kind of trickle out from that same methodology and that mentality of it kind of flowing through through that process as a whole. Yeah, it seems like everything you do is kind of tied back to that intentionality idea that we, that we talked about earlier. Um, almost moving back to that, I, you know, it's obviously important. We talked about the intentionality to develop that within yourself and, 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 you know, ensure that you're, you're practicing that. How important is it to make sure that those around you understand your intentionalities? Yeah, I think, I think it's really important. Um, I, I think the other thing I ask for people around me, I, I, and I make sure I communicate this to them is that I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to make the epic mistakes. And, and, and the reason why I almost highlighted like that is I'm like, Hey, what I'm doing professionally is very risky. So you have to also understand that I might make the same level of mistakes personally. And the risk tolerance for me is, uh, is something I'm comfortable with, but the room for tolerance has to be massive because there was a point in time, um, and, and let's go back in time here, for example, uh, we started off our operations in Calgary, and then a few years later, we started off our operations in Edmonton, and I was raised in Edmonton, so I always had a natural desire of wanting to be part of that community, though I wasn't living there anymore. But the problem with that situation is my daughter was born and pretty much as soon as she was born, I decided that we were going to start an Edmonton office and I didn't see her for a year. So in that period of time, I was actually not in my daughter's life. And has that had an impact? Probably. Um, do I hold it against myself? No, it's just the reality of my life. But am I making sure that I'm there now to ensure that that doesn't happen again? Most likely. And I think that's that whole process, right? Is that you have to let the people that are around you know that you're a human being as well. Um, I, unfortunately, in my life and in my personal life with family members and stuff like that, I get propped up 
um, because they're like, oh, you know, you're doing this crazy stuff and you're this person, you're running marathons, you're always in shape and you seem like you're healthy and blah, 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 blah. But that, but that, and that was always the case. And I got to a point where I'm like, this isn't fair. Like I'm, I'm having this spotlight shone on me all the time and I'm expected to be perfect. Can you guys just give me a freaking break? Right. And then that, when that conversation happened, all of a sudden I was able to be a human being again. And I think that's the biggest piece in life is there's got to be somewhere that you can be human because if you're constantly trying to be perfect everywhere and you don't have a place that's safe for you to be yourself and, you know, just eat a crappy meal and have a stinky fart, then what are you going to be able to, when are you ever going to be able to let your hair down and be a real person, right? And if that balance isn't there, then something bad is going to happen and it's typically going to be catastrophic, especially when you're a business owner. Was it hard to have that first conversation, you know, if you're always in the limelight and what did that look like? What, what drove you to that point? Oh man. Um, yeah, it was, it was super difficult. And I think I'm, that conversation hasn't ended. Um, I think the funny thing about good conversations is they're ongoing and sometimes it'll take like 20 conversations for you to be able to kind of come to a point of finality where it's just now part of your past. Um, what it, where that point came for me in the organization um, was that it was in relation to the rapid growth and not reflecting. So we were growing so fast and bringing in different team members and doing different things, whether that be like marketing initiatives and brand partnerships and community-based stuff, um, that all those things were happening so fast that I kind of just strapped in and lived in the moment. And I was like, yeah, I don't care about anything else that's going on other than what's in front of me at this moment. And I think I need to live in the moment. And that that's something that um, I fell into fallacy that I kind of fell into is the whole like live now, live in the moment kind of perspective. And I started making some really odd decisions that didn't align with my values as an individual. And then that started creating rifts with individuals that I had really strong relationships with. So then that forced me to have conversations with them because I could feel those relationships relationships slipping. And I was like, hey, um, you know, I noticed that this is going on and I would, I would actually really drive straight to the point. I'm like, are you okay with the person that I am right now? Are you okay with the way that I'm approaching this situation and so on and so forth? And then I was getting a lot of bad feedback in terms of like, no, like, you know, this, is, this actually isn't, um, you know, what we signed up for. This is not the person that we thought you were. And then I had to have a really serious conversation around some of those topics and say like, okay, this might be the person that I'm becoming. And are you okay if that's what this person looks like? And if not, what does that person need to look like for you to be comfortable? And the, rea- the crappy part about that is that I ended up having to let go of some friendships or some relationships as, as part of that process. Because, you know, we always talk about being, becoming like a better version of yourself. Uh, the, the sad reality behind that, behind becoming a better version of yourself is that something has to give, that you have to leave something behind in order to be able to move forward. And that, that aspect will typically mean that you lose something as part of that process. To keep it, to simplify it and take the serious edge away from this, I'll give you an example here. Let's say for, from the time that you were a kid, that you were into archery. And for the first 25 years of, years of your life, you made sure that you showed up every, every day to shoot a bow at the same club. And then one Saturday, you decided not to show up. People are probably gonna wonder what happened to you. And they're gonna be like, hey, where, like, where were you? Like, why, why didn't you show up? And then all of a sudden you're like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. And then people will try, try to pull you in. They're like, hold on a second here. Like, this is not what I expected of you. You need to be here on Saturday. You need to shoot that bow. You've been here for 25 years. You can't not come here anymore. And then you'd have a deeper conversation. Like, it's not serving me anymore. I can't keep on shooting this bow. It's, not, it's, it's taking time away from something else that I want to focus on. And I want to be a better person. And 
the reality of that process is that you're going to have to let that day go. You're going to have to let that time block go. Then you're going to have to let those people go. And then the funny, the funniest bit about all of it is that you're going to have to now go explore something else to do during that period of time. And let's say it's not archery anymore and you start going and playing soccer in that time block. What if it turns out that you actually hate soccer? The piece that you have to be also coming comfortable with is going back to the archery club in this example specifically and saying that, you know what? I was actually wrong. This is the place I need to be. Or you move on. And I think that was the conversations that I needed to have. And a lot of them happened in 2023 for me to be able to figure out who I am as a person and ground myself in the next stage of what I'm going to be in this next portion of my life. Do you think it's more complicated for the person that's leaving the archery club or the members of the archery club? Uh, man, that's a good question. It's, it's however you want to frame it, right? I think what going back to what you said is like you like the whole energy piece I was talking about. It's whatever you want to pour your energy into. Um, if you are a type of individual that feels like you're getting energy about, about being concerned about other people's emotions, then be concerned about those people's emotions and nurture those relationships. What that could potentially look like is maybe your favorite people in that club, go and have coffees with them on different times of the week and update them on what your life looks like now that you're not spending that time block shooting arrows. And then those individuals will probably share that news on your behalf and you get to choose the people that you're interacting with. Or you could be the other side of the coin where you're the one that's going through the hardships and you're, you're like, you know what, I, the way that I'm wired as an individual, I can't see them because if I talk to them, I'm going to want to go back and then you have to make a hard cut. So it, it's really down to the individual and how people f- will feel and how they, you know, where they're getting that energy from and they have to choose where they're going to pour it. When you're going into those tough conversations with these people, do you, do you, um, you know, does the conversation change depending on your understanding of how they will react? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm never going in there with a goal, especially when it's human beings. Um, I believe that you can set goals for human beings to work around, work towards, um, like getting married or having children or buying a house or having a business. Our goal at the company is to to install solar on 1 million homes by 2040, right? It's kind of our, our, our brand goal and the company goal as a whole. And everybody kind of steers towards that. But I never go into a conversation with another human being with, especially when it's personal stuff, um, with an intention of taking a position and trying to convince them of something that I want. Because then two different things will happen. Uh, One, it'll become, it could most likely turn into an argument. And then two, manipulation will happen. You'll try to shift the conversation in your favor to be able to achieve your goal. So a lot of times I'll go into a conversation with 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 a basic intention but no goal. And I'll end up leaving with a greater understanding and significant amount of empathy towards that individual that you know like they of things i didn't understand of perspectives that i didn't realize was happening or even things that were going on in that person's life that was impacting my relationship with them and i harbor those emotions against that individual is not realizing that they were actually going through the same amount of pain but in different versions so um, i'm always usually really careful about not going into a conversation loaded you mentioned your uh, your goal, your company goal there. Um, One million homes, solar by 2040, correct? Yeah. What happens after that's achieved? Honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that goal for us was one that we needed to set because we knew we were solving a problem, right? I think that's the biggest thing that every business needs to be able to know is start solving a problem. If you're getting into business to make money, get out of business. Don't even do it. It's like showing up to dinner with a goal of trying to get full you're going to miss the meal like what's the point right every business is going to make money and if your goal is to get into business to make money then you're missing the entire point 
So we wanted to make sure that we were solving a problem. And the problem that we wanted to solve is that more than ever before, humans are using more energy than we ever have. And we're in a country called Canada. People tend to forget that we're kind of the gold standard on how to treat human beings. That also means that we need to be responsible on how we use our resources and how we present ourselves globally. We can't just do things that we want to and say, oh, China's doing this or India's doing this or so on and so forth. It's like, no, those are developing nations and the majority of our workforce is from those places. So let's take a step back and continue to raise the bar, not lower ourselves because somebody else is doing something else. So I believe that all of that kind of ties back in together of taking responsibility in, on the position and the opportunities that you have and being grateful for the resources that you have as an individual. And that in itself will encompass how you show up and how you present yourself and how you even think about certain things. And that'll eventually lead to that success. Now in business, if you're not solving a problem, you'll never even be able to have conversations around that because you're like, oh, I need to make money and blah, blah, blah. You're gonna end up on YouTube posing in front of a Lamborghini and good luck because you're just misleading youth. So what does success look like for you and then for the business if they're not aligned? If, if they're not aligned? Like if there's, if they're two different things, I mean, uh, sorry, what do you mean by them being two different? So, things? so, uh, like business success, uh, could, could be one thing. Like you, you could have your, you know, that, that one target goal, which obviously the 2041, sure. um, and you'd also have your own personal success. What do those look like individually? So I think, and, and if I understand your question, right, interrupt me if I'm not, if I'm not on the, the right thought process here, but for, first and foremost, for me, my personal goals and my business goals need to be aligned. Uh, th this, this is such a timely conversation as well, too, because ironically enough, that's part of the conversation that I'm having with Kai tonight over dinner. And to really give you the kind of the details behind that, to, the, to what I can share at least, is that we are now in a position where the company's next five years are going to be significantly different than the last five years. And Kai and I need to come to a decision in regards to how certain things in the corporation are structured in relation to our personal lives. So that's what's actually driving the conversation is like, how do you want to live? How do you want to show up every single day? What kind of energy do you want to put in the organization? And once we have that conversation, it's actually going to drive a very specific, a single decision in the business. So for me as an individual, and I, they need to be 100% aligned. If they're not, then I'm going to be torn in half and I'm going to show up frantic. I'm not going to be able to actually help anybody. So there's not really a disconnect between them. They need to be mutually exclusive to one another. And it's because of the reality that I'm living in is that the majority of my day is spent working and working with other individuals. And I need to make sure that all of that works together so that, you know, when I check out of here, or I drive home and I'm sitting at the dinner table, that those kids that are in front of me have the best version of me available, knowing that I actually am doing something that's productive to who I want them to be as, pe as people as well. Now, that doesn't always have to be in business ownership, right? Like I grew up in a household where my dad was a taxi driver and he loved driving people around and he loved having human interactions. His favorite thing about driving a taxi wasn't um, the money that he made or the vehicle that he drove or whatever. It was the conversations that he had to and from places and meeting new people. And my mom being a nurse, that inherently in itself is a significantly self-sacrificing role. And I would see her come home every day tired and like kind of a little bit beat up because she's pouring her energy into helping other people. And then she had to also then take energy and pour it into us as children, which is insane. I don't know how she did it. Uh, so hats off to her for doing that. But if they, because they had an understanding of what they were doing in society, 
I was, they were able to also show up to me and give me the best of who they were as individuals. And that wasn't always the case. Some days they had tough, tough days, but they always showed up and uh, to dinner at the same time and always supported me through the different ups and downs that I had as a young person until I became independent and started making my own choices and living my own life. Awesome. So it sounds, it sounds like, you know, purpose, alignment, fulfillment, success are all, all the same thing to you. Yeah, absolutely. They all, they all kind of tie into one, right? And they're synonyms in a, in a weird way in my mind. Um, but I also like, don't, I don't really have a goal of making X number of dollars, buying X number of things or any of that. My, my, where I find my peace is, am I a human being that provided value to other human beings and moved us in a generally better direction in society. Because I'm agreeing to this game that we're playing in a sense. Um, the way that I see it is that I was born into a game to which I didn't agree to the rules of. And what I'm talking about is I was born in a hospital that was built by infrastructure that a bunch of people had to agree upon that allowed that hospital to have energy so that I could be born and incubated. For example, I was a premature baby, right? So I had to, I had to be in there a little bit longer. And somebody created a job structure of a, a maternity nurse and created the framework of what your responsibilities are. Those are all really positive things about society that simply get overlooked sometimes. But knowing that I was born into that game, I made sure that I understood all the rules, how to play by them in an honest manner and how to beat the game as best as I possibly could. And I determined that starting a business was the best way to do that. And it sounds like it's just the beginning. Yeah, I mean, and, and then you just die, right? So it's, it's awesome. So you got to make sure that you just treat people well along the way and, and kind of go from there. Awesome. What's next for you? Well, well, to keep it from like the everyday side of things, I have, um, I have another marathon coming up in, in a few months. Uh, I do have some pretty aggressive goals for that marathon as well, too. I'm going to be, lo- ironically enough, I'm going to be locking those in. I do want to see myself one day we do one of the majors. So far I've ran five marathons um, in my life and I have a goal of doing 50. That was, that was kind of pushed on me by Kai, but also agreed upon. Uh, we, started a, we started an initiative years ago called Strides for Sustainability, where we raise money for different things that we care about. Uh, we've done solar microgrid projects in Nicaragua. Uh, we've done things of that nature. We've also raised money for students. Last year, we raised almost $20,000 for students who can't afford to go to school. And that was all done around this marathon initiative called Strides for Sustainability. So that's my, that's kind of really front of mind right now. I'm, I'm having to run outside in this minus 20 weather and I got like a belaclava and everything like that. And it kind of sucks, but that's very front of mind. Um, you know, my kids are growing up really quickly. Uh, my boys are going to be starting soccer this year and my daughter is going to be starting gymnastics. So that's really exciting for me. Um, I'm also you know, like really excited about the next couple of years for my family as well too. My parents are retired now and they're going through some really interesting personal stages, but they're finally starting to accept that they're in retirement. So I'm going to be really intentional in trying to unlock what does that look like for them and provide them the things that I've learned that I know that they didn't, they didn't have insight to, to be able to make sure that that's successful for them. Um, and yeah, I think, I think right now, if I'm being frank with you, a lot of my energy is going into the relationships that I have in life. And that includes the people at Zeno. And what does what is next for me there is to continue growing leaders. That's the biggest thing for me right now in this in in my professional world is to grow the best leaders possible based on what I know is good from a value standpoint, and hope that they look at things the same way and they take the torch, part of the torch from me, and uh, carry it to the best of their ability. And I show up for them as they need me. Awesome, all the good things to look forward to. Yeah, 
Yeah, totally. Where can people follow along? Where can where can we send everybody? Uh, I, I'm not overly active on social media right now, but it is the start of the year. Uh, I would recommend following me on LinkedIn. Um, I would also recommend if you want to see more, probably more of what's actually going on, uh, follow Zeno Renewables LinkedIn page, as well as his Instagram page. Um, and those two pay, those two areas will generally give you the majority of what's going on. Um, or if, to be fair, if you do find me on LinkedIn, reach out to me. Uh, I, I had this old saying I used to say to a friend and he, he brought it up to me and he said it was always impactful. I, I believe that the conversation, the only conversations that you regret, you regret in life are the ones that you don't have. So if you're listening to this and you feel like you want to talk to me, find me on LinkedIn, fire me a DM and we can have a virtual meeting or a coffee. I'm always open to all and all, all in any conversations. Try not to sell me something. Um, but if you want to have a conversation as a human being, I'm always, I'm always down to have those. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's so important. That's, you know, that's why we're here today. That's why we're having these conversations and I really appreciate your time and all of your valuable insights. It's been incredible. So thanks so much. Yeah. Likewise. Those are some great questions and I wish you all the success as you continue doing this. This podcast is, is pretty cool and I hope it continues to grow and it looks like you have a pretty awesome team behind the scenes as well too. Absolutely. Yeah. Shout out Nick and Cam. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thank you.